The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. Hi, this is Mia Mohsen Zia, also known as Mia No Time for Love. Check out my latest book, Missing, available in print and ebook formats on Amazon. It's now time for the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios and sponsored by international award-winning author Mia Mohsen Zia of Missing. The Mike Wagner Show can be heard on over 40 podcast platforms, as well as HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, and TheMikeWagnerShow.com. We can be heard in over 100 countries, featuring over 1,000 well-known and amazing guests throughout the globe, and named one of the top 100 global podcasts in the New York Weekly Times, Hollywood Entertainment News, Los Angeles Weekly Times, Apple, and Chartable. So sit back and relax and enjoy another great episode of the award-winning Mike Wagner Show. Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios and brought to you by official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molson's Here Missing, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. We're here with the terrific lady who's a New Orleans-born author, worked on Capitol Hill at the White House Office of Communications and formed ways to explain to the American people entities of um, a rare, expansive project. And you moved to Europe um, with family at nine years old, learned a lot about Europe and uh, worked in the garment industry, designed maternity clothes, and you're, and has a son that's born with a, a rare genetic skin disease. And a new book that's out contains uh, family lore and also... Um, the, the documented facts, expansive immigration, creating a very fascinating story about her great grandfather and uh, lots of ambition. Kind of think of Mark Twain living and uh, working on the flatboats, riverboats, and Mississippi River. The book is called Barber's Cut, and it's not what you think about in the barber or anything. It's a different type of barber. Live, ladies and gentlemen, at Plus Studios, somewhere outside Houston, Texas, the amazing New Orleans-born author now in Houston, worked on Capitol Hill and a new book called Barbara's Cut, talking about um, being life on the Mississippi River. And um, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome aboard the multi-talented Nancy Potter. Nancy, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Good evening. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. What's well, great to have you on board as well, Nancy. So you're a New Orleans-born author. You worked on Capitol Hill at the White House Communications, um, formulating um, and explaining to American people the intricacies of um, a, a new expansive project. And you moved to Europe with your family at nine, learned French and uh, graduated from college, learned a lot of culture out there. You worked in the garment industry, you designed maternity clothes, and you have a son that's born with a uh, rare genetic disease. And you have the new book containing family lore, documenting facts, and um, basically expansive imagination, creating a fascinating story about uh, your great-grandfather. Think of Mark Twain at the next level and um, boundless ambitions, living and working in the flatboat riverboats on the Mississippi River called Barber's Cut. And before getting all that, Nancy, tell us how I first got started. Well, I first got started writing when I was about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. We lived in The Hague in Holland. And um, I was out seeing uh, the queen. I'd never seen a queen before. I was pretty fresh from Louisiana. It was very exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, saw some some birds that were flying around. And I wondered what it would be like to be a bird watching this. And so I went home <laughs> and wrote a little story from uh -huh. the bird's perspective. And that was the first story I could remember ever writing. Hmm. And uh, 
I was encouraged by all of my English teachers to write. It was something I did on a pretty much daily basis for 20, 25 years. They mm -hmm. start, I had to start keeping journals when I was, I think, in sixth grade oh, and wow. kept them not religiously, but almost religiously till I was about 30. Mm -hmm. So they're all hidden away. And I've told my sister to burn them when I die so no one can read them. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. I think this I makes think a great book. I mean, you got a second, third, fourth, fifth, and um, generational. Don't burn them, please. No, 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 don't do that. No. Well, I don't know. I might get some people in trouble. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's perfectly okay. Maybe you can do it like maybe several years after you've um gone upstairs or something and posthumously uh, or how do you say that yeah what's that posthumously posthumously that yes that's the posthumously term. right or or the late whatever it is you can make it really simple out there just put in layman's terms and um and, and of course you'll get back to writing what was that one precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career i think it's really not a precise moment i grew up uh in a very southern family even though we became cosmopolitan when I was a young girl and the st family stories it was always about family stories and everything was about family and being part of a family and appreciating your family and making your family proud of you and there were constant stories about my great-grandfather hmm. and we called him daddy barber daddy and barber okay daddy barber and who was Clyde in my book and my grandmother would tell us stories about all things he did and the places he went and people he had met and what a wonderful person he was. And he'd helped everybody and everybody loved him. And the older I got, the more I realized he couldn't have been quite that perfect. No one's mm -hmm. ever quite as perfect as he was made out to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a writer, I, I started other books before. And in the, in the back of my mind, it was always Daddy Barber. It was this story that was just waiting to be told. It's a grand story waiting to be told. And I eventually, actually in 1985, I recorded my grandparents on a cassette tape, Mike. Oh, wow. Amazing. I still have There's always They're always valuable to have. It never gets erased, never get lost in the web. It's always something valuable to have. I'm glad you I did get it stuck in the player once. That's another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was terrible. And so that's that started the process, which obviously was a 38 year process. Uh, uh, I don't know that I ever had a moment where I thought I'm going to write the story. It was just always a part of me. It just was. Uh, you know, in, underneath my skin, part of who I was. And as a writer, it was just in the back of my head. In 85, I thought, okay, I'm going to do something about this. And then all kinds of things happen that make you unable to do exactly what you want to do or follow the trajectory the way that you expect it to, you know, and that never happens, right, in life. You got it all figured out, but life has a way of, of changing things for you. Mm -hmm. So that was the moment that I really sat down and thought, okay, I got to do this. This is such a great story. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it as well, too. Or who are some of your favorite authors and writers growing up? Well, I was thinking about that the other day. When I was little, we lived in Louisiana. I read every Laura Ingalls Wilder book there was. I oh, was, yeah. Wonderful I was uh, 
aficionado on uh, Life on the Prairie and loved, loved, loved all those books. And then uh, as I got older, I, I found Walker Percy and I thought the way that he wrote was sort of almost majestic and poetic. And he had a way of looking at things that was very different. And, and it came through in his writing and, you know, the moviegoer, Thanatos syndrome. And I'll tell but a funny story was I found out years and years later that this little town we lived in, in Louisiana, when I was a, a girl, he ended up living there and lived there for a long time. My brother-in-law was his dentist Oh wow! And his daughter was in my swimming team. I didn't. Oh even my know gosh! <laughs> so here's Walker Percy in my backyard. I had no idea. Uh, so that's just a little aside. Uh, lately, I well, not in the last ten years, I say I have really enjoyed reading Anna Quinlan. The first book I read of hers was Black and Blue. It's mm -hmm. an amazing story about domestic violence, and mm. um, and and. Then I've kept reading other separate books. Those are three that come to mind. Hmm. How about some of your other favorite books growing up? I'm sorry? How about some of your other favorite books growing up? Some of my other favorite books growing up. Well, there was a book that my mother would read to us called Mabel. And it was stories about a little girl named Mabel. Hmm. And we have one copy of it. And there are five daughters in my family. And so we're fighting over who gets the Mabel book. And it was just <laughs> stories about a little girl named Mabel who did. I don't even remember what she did. I just remember we had to read it. And now everybody wants the Mabel book. What else did I like growing up? Well, of course, I read Mark Twain. I loved uh, Tom Sawyer particularly. Uh, Huck Finn was very interesting. I read that when I was older, actually. Mar I read Mark Twain. I, mean, I read uh, uh, Tom Sawyer when I was younger and uh, felt I don't know. I just love this whole life that they had. And it was so rich. And yet it had no, it was, it was not a richness in money. It was a rich richness and everything else and everything they did. They really, they seemed to really think, seem to really enjoy the little things in life that we all just take for granted and overlook. And I think at a, t a time like this in the world, it, it would serve everybody well to read something like Tom Sawyer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really perfect, too. It's too bad people take things for granted and everything else. And I think it's really good to get back to your roots. And, of course, you know, getting back to roots with um, Barbara's Cut and more with um, Nancy Potter. And uh, how does she get from um, Louisiana over to Europe and starting on in Capitol Hill on a journey to be an author? We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by SoundWeb Studios. Visit online at SonicWebStudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. SonicWeb Studios is the answer. SonicWeb Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition rate. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. It's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at SonicWebStudios.com. Mention Mike Whitener, show get 20% off your first project. SonicWeb Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molsonzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. 
Missing by Mia Molson Zayas got great reviews. And Evil Evan and George by Howard's lovers, including Joanna Cassie, Forbes Riley, and Nails. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molson Zayas, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Weiner Show at themikewidenershow.com on our 40 podcast platforms. Heard in 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, Odyssey, BitChute, Rumble, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Also, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and more. Also, uh, check us out on Podbean, Radio Public, Himalaya, YouTube, and everything else. And make sure you take us with you on any mobile device. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Weiner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7 year-round. Go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Weiner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Check it out today. And support the Mike Weiner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the MikeWeinerShow.com. We're here with New Orleans-born uh, author who worked on Capitol Hill in the House of Communications, Nancy Potter, here on the Mike Weiner Show with the book Barber's Cut. And before we get to uh, Barber's Cut as well, too, talking about the riverboat, um, you know, ventures of um, your great uh, grandfather as well. Uh, tell us about your journey going from New Orleans all the way over to uh, Europe when you were nine. Well, I was eight years old when we left Louisiana and I had four older sisters, two of which we left in Louisiana. They were uh, in college. And my father decided that he had worked for Gulf Oil for 18 years in New Orleans and he wanted to do better for his family, make a better life for them. And so he took himself up to New York City oh, and wow. got a job with uh, Exxon and I'm sorry, Amico. Got a job with Amico. And so we were in Connecticut for about eight months and they moved us to Holland. And so he was uh, putting in offshore platforms. He helped he helped design and actually put them out in the, in the oceans and the seas. And he was gone a lot. But they, we were there in Holland for two years. And then we were in London for three years. And uh, then they moved him back to the States, to Chicago. And I ended up graduating from high school outside in a suburb of Chicago called Hinsdale, Illinois. Wow. Okay. All right. And uh, so in Europe, but it was so fun because back then, your all the European countries really were different. You couldn't mm -hmm. you couldn't find a hamburger. You couldn't find blue jeans, bubble gum, any of that stuff that you. It was all that was all American, mm -hmm. and so you were forced into doing things a different way, eating different things, ex ex expecting different things. And I think it made, helped me make me very flexible, which has served me well in life. Mm. And also just being able to travel when you're in, when you're in Holland, I mean, Brussels is here and Switzerland's there, everything's right there around you. And it makes it so easy to, to see all these places when you're located, something like that, mm. someplace like that. And then what we you had to learn a foreign language in Holland, I was in fifth grade and you could choose Dutch or French because mm. it was in Holland. So I chose French and studied French the rest of my life. I studied it all through high school and college. And and uh, now it's hard when I mean, you don't have the opportunity to speak the language. It's hard. But if I get immersed enough for a couple of days in France, then I do OK. Mm -hmm. And then so we were back in the States and that was a bit of a shock. Mm -hmm. And what made you decide on the French language over the Dutch? Well, I was, what was I, nine years old. And my parents let me decide 
it's, or, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe they actually said this to me, but I thought I was deciding, Mike, I was just thinking about that as a parent, uh, that I'm going to, I could learn Dutch all around. I mean, when you're a kid, you just absorb it. You don't even have to study it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I could learn Dutch just being here, but the French was something that I couldn't. So I could kind of do both. But that sounds like way, and now that I think about it, it sounds way too mature of a thought for a nine-year-old. So who knows? <laughs> that is as rather amazing too. And of course, you deal, you deal with the different food and all that. You're making me hungry talking about hamburgers and all that. What's some of your favorite <laughs> food uh, in Europe? What, what did you like? What was the best about Europe? Well, I yeah, the food. I I, I remember uh, we lived in a hotel for a long time in Holland. And so they would make us our lunches. And the Dutch used to eat very strange sandwiches. They would take us two pieces of bread with butter on them and put cookies in the middle. Cookies? Or they'd wow. take, they'd put, they'd have the bread with the butter and they'd put like sugar sprinkles in it for a sandwich. So that's some, that was a very odd, odd shock. That something that I did not appreciate, but it was interesting. I, but I learned to eat, uh, I learned to eat things like lamb and foie gras and to have soul and, and Dover soul. And um, just, it's just kind of ate everything. If you didn't, then you were very hungry. I had one sister who was very picky and she cried a lot when we went to restaurants. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I can hear the Tony Stark coming out right now. I just want to get back to the States and have an American cheeseburger. I can hear the. Oh, well, I tell you, every, every summer, the company Amico would pay for us to come back to the States for the summer. That was one of the, one of the benefits of being over there. And back then there weren't that many people over there mm -hmm. and we would land in new Orleans and go immediately to McDonald's and we'd have, you know, hamburger, French fries and a milkshake. And that was heaven. <laughs> uh, and of course you know with the book barbara's cut you know a lot of things in heaven taking all the the small not small things for granted a lot of things you cherish and um and then and then going from um europe and uh, being with family you also went on to um working on capitol hill at the white house of office of communications and tell us more about that yes yeah, so well after college i was offered an internship with my congressman from New Orleans. So I went there for the summer and they ended up hiring me to work full time. Mm -hmm. And then Reagan came into office and they were trying to fill up the White House and I was able to get an interview. And generally speaking, if you don't work on someone's campaign, you don't get a job. With them. And mm -hmm. I had not worked on Reagan's campaign. It was President Reagan. I had not worked on his campaign, but I did get a job there and worked in the Office of Communications. I was a, a peon, of course, mm -hmm. but when you work in the White House, you still work in the White House and it's an amazing experience. And uh, so, it, but it's a very difficult place to work. Very difficult, very heady. Uh, everybody wants your job even when you're a peon. Uh, you never get any breaks, any time off. I lasted about a year. And I was ready to leave, which horrified wow. my father. He told me I was not allowed to to quit working for President Reagan at the White House. He said, "That's you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, I was miserable. I said, well, I'm going to do that. So I left and moved to Houston. Okay. And you later worked in the garment injury as well, too. Designed maternity clothes and um, every, everything like that. I mean, that sounds fascinating what you're doing. You're going on a really fascinating journey leading up to an author. Well, I, I had a lot of interests and I was fortunate enough to 
be able to try my hand at different things. And uh, well, the thing that I ended up doing for a while was designing clothes. Mm-hmm. Started off with kids' clothes and women's clothes. And then a friend of mine was uh, pregnant and led a very nice uh, high-end lifestyle and couldn't find clothes to wear. So I ended up designing clothes for her. And that became a line of clothes under my name, Nancy Potter Houston. Nice. My maternity clothes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a tune. Of course, you know, speaking of family, you were, you have a son that's born with a rare genetic um, skin disease called EB, and that is um, Epidermolis uh, bullosa. I think I got that right. Tried it. Close. So. <laughs> You're close, Mike. It's called Epidermolysis bullosa. And, you know, epiderm's your skin, bullosa is a blister. And he was born uh, with this disease that is forms blisters all over your body just by the slightest touch. And so you, they can't be touched. They can't be held. They can't, he had blisters in his mouth and all over his body. So it was, he was just a little disaster and it took 24 hour care and a lot of tears to get through those years when he was little. And as he got older, he got better when he, he, there are three kinds of the disease, two kinds are fatal and the kind that he has uh, if they get over a certain age, they're likely to survive. So he's 31. It has led to many other problems, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. If you can't eat, walk, talk, move, it, it your development is all skewed. And so he missed all of his developmental milestones. So he lives in Idaho now, and he's a special needs adult. And um, He's the blistering isn't as big a problem anymore as it used to be, but it's it's left its toll on him. I have to tell you that. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, the like we said too, we're keeping the themes of, um, you know, appreciating the things in life and not taking for granted. Of course, you know, getting back as well as a barber's cut as well too, combining family lore, documented facts, and uh, basically just um, all about your wonderful grandfather. So we <laughs> all that and, um, you know, dealing with Mexican revolutionaries, uh, family alcoholism, infidelity, jealousy. But there's also some things, too, like, you know, building life for a growing family and uh, just being driven everything. It's almost like, you know, I, I guess you could say like a modern day Mark Twain. Yes, absolutely. And I think that he just had the kind of mind that always wanted to expand and he was curious about everything mm-hmm. and he was very good at most things he tried. Um, at, he, at one point in his life, he concocted a, a certain kind of a knot that no oh. one had ever done. And that's just a, a little example. He uh, got a patent on carbon black, was one of his big money makers was carbon black. Wow. And at, at a time when the government was cutting back on how much of the oil you were allowed to use to produce carbon black, Uh, He was able to come up with an idea. He had an idea and was able to come up with a design that made two and a half times as much carbon black from the same amount of oil. So that was really instrumental in in that business. And he had those companies in Europe as well. And he had uh, mainly water transportation other than carbon black was how he made his money. And he had a company down in Tampico where he had... uh, I won't tell you the story, but he had a run in with uh, Pancho Villa that was Uh life changing. And uh, so that that's an interesting part of the book, his his trials down in Mexico. 
And I, he had all these companies, even in different countries, you know, they hardly had phones across the ocean. They had no technology that we would, nothing that we would even consider technology. And yet somehow he was able to manage all these businesses and all these finances. Uh, I, I don't even, I can't even imagine how he did that. Hmm. That at, at does sound like it. And of course, you know, he loved architecture, loved design, the arts, and um, oh my gosh, it just about everything he really loved. He did. He was a real Renaissance man. He taught himself to love the finer things in life and got to a place where he could purchase them because uh, he it's you know, a rags to riches story. Mm -hmm. He sees some Opusson tapestries at the World's Fair in 1904 and, and and gazes at them and says, "One day I'm gonna, I'm gonna have one of those. One day." And, and he was still on a on a, a stern wheeler, and uh, sure enough, when he in the end he does, he ends up with some a lot of things like that. He he had the kind of mind we think of as a manifester, right? That's what you would call it today, where he could see things in his mind, and he would uh, be driven toward that thing that he could vision envision in his mind. Hmm. That certainly is as well, too. And of course, you know, how about some other things that really made him stand out? He was also a humanitarian. Yeah, a lot of men who are have to work that hard to become wealthy aren't nice people. They're not going to stand around and wait for you. Uh, he helped everyone that came into his path who needed help. He helped a little guy make a uh, open a hardware store in Franklin, Louisiana, because he thought wow. that they needed a hardware store. That was a three hundred dollar investment. He uh, had there was a man in town who needed a crane and for his uh, for his uh, cane crop. He couldn't get the cane from the from on the ground up and into the into the wagons to be hauled out to the boats to be taken to the mills. And so he he knew he came up and approached Clyde very uh, tentatively and they struck a deal. He said, okay, I'll give you that, but I gotta I gotta transport your cane and this and that. He he liked to make it win-win situations for everyone. And um but he didn't talk a lot about that. It's just part of who he was was helping other people. Mm -hmm. And also, too, with your uh, great-grandfather, Clyde, as well, too, what are some of the traits that you you believe that you picked up and uh, about your family? What are some of the traits that they picked up on? Well, I really hadn't thought that much about it till, the la till obviously, the last few years with this book. And even recently, when people have been asking me that question. And uh, I remember when I was earlier in writing the book, I met a cousin I didn't know that I had. He lives here in Houston. His name is Steve. And I was discouraged about writing. And it was very difficult. And he said, well, just remember, um, Captain Barber's blood runs through you too. For some reason, that made a big impression on me. Uh, you know, you have things may be true, but you don't always think of them or you don't think of them in a certain way. I thought, well, oh, that's right. And <laughs> I realized that I have a lot of perseverance. He couldn't have gotten where he did without constantly just going after and going after. I think that the perseverance has helped me with this book. It took 38 years to get the book done. I I think that I'm definitely the humanitarian because I'm always helping everyone. I see that in myself. Uh, I 
see a love of, uh, I went to architecture school. Actually, I thought I was going to be an architect until I changed my mind. So I had that love of art. And I grew up around the beautiful things that he bought when he was in Europe. He bought a lot of beautiful things, which I won't go into too much because I don't want to ruin his or, story. Or, or maybe at least one or two. So it can be yes. significant. Yes. And so he, uh, so I grew up with around these things. And uh, so I had a great, I have, uh, was lucky because of him, I was able to grow up around these beautiful things that I may never have been able to see. And I, I, to this, to this day, I use my great grandmother's sterling silver flatware. I have some of her mug cups. I drink my coffee out of, I have their plates. I have my grandmother's uh, wine glasses. Uh, just my house is, I'm surrounded by things from them and beautiful things that, they were able to, he was able to provide his family with. And certainly does as well, too. I could tell by the background, it's just beautiful what you have, too, and um, architecture and everything else. And, um, and, and of course, you know, he talked about some of the architecture. It's like, you know, what are some of the things that he also built as well, too, like you know, significant buildings or inventing and everything like that? Since we're on that subject about your uh, great-grandfather, um, Clive Barber of uh, Barber's Cut, you know, what are some of the other things that had he had buildings, things significant in terms of architecture. Well, he, when he was young and, and would go to, and they'd end up in New Orleans, well, most, not always, but all, often they would, go, they would float all the way down to New Orleans. And he would save up his money to, to ride on the trolley to go down St. Charles Avenue so he could see the beautiful houses. That's where he started seeing these things. And he would get off and walk around and, and, and look at the architecture and just loved it. And uh, when he was able to finally get his own house, because he lived on boats forever in a day, mm -hmm. uh, it was it, it was very important to him. He wanted to have his children live in a house and he didn't build the houses. But when he had them, it was very important to him to have. And uh, he did renovate uh, a mansion that you'll find out in the book that was has been will be around forever. And he's responsible for that. But again, I'll, I'll give it away uh, mm -hmm. if I tell you too much. Uh, that's perfectly okay. And, and just makes me think too, it's just, uh, you know, with your uh, great-grandfather leading a life of Mark Twain. And uh, how is he similar to Mark Twain? Maybe just, you know, a, a few traits, a few tales and everything like that. And especially the much finer things in life, you know, that we take for granted. Well, that's a good question. How is he like Mark Twain? Well, it seems well. They both they, they seem to both love water. Obviously, my grandfather, great grandfather, grew up on and off of the water and had a, a great appreciation and love for boats. You see, Mark Twain is always talking about uh, boats and the water. I think living on the Mississippi, it's the Mississippi is sort of a thing. It's almost like a person. You know, mm -hmm. it has has they talk about it having a soul. And I see that in Mark Twain's writings, and I could see that in the stories about my great grandfather. Is that the river really was something very special to them? It wasn't just a piece. It wasn't just a waterway, and uh, they had this respect for it. And uh, so I think that probably would have made them somewhat similar in that they grew up with that feeling of of the Mississippi River. Hmm. 
that is rather interesting and i can see about that as well too and um and, and of course you know how about some of the other stories that you really it kind of made you laugh about your uh, great-grandfather well one thing that made me laugh not he had it's not really something funny he did but in doing research which i did for years and years and years i found a local newspaper and one of the things they would talk about was the little, little tiniest little thing, they didn't have much to talk about. So someone was having, someone was in town from, you know, a hundred miles away or someone's having tea at someone's house. Well, one day uh, it was, you know, Clyde, Captain Barber's sick at home. He's sick. It was in the newspaper, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> and so it was fun. They thought it was funny that he'd had the notoriety at that point and it's still living in this little town where he was in the newspaper for being sick. So <laughs> and then he has two grandchildren. His first two grandchildren were born within several months of each other. And there was an article in the fuel fuel oil journal. It's hard to say that that talked about how he uh, became a grandfather twice uh, in double order. I wish I could, I wish I had it in front of me to read. And that he was going to have to increase his towing capacity. Hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. That was a pretty funny little quote. And again, you know, he, but by then he was someone of note, but they, they love the fact that they talked, they thought that was a real funny joke. Hmm. That was rather interesting. When you talked about uh, towing capacities, way to increase it. That's just one of the few challenges he had. And also some other challenges as well, too, like with um, Mexican revolutionaries, you talk about Pancho Villa and, um, you know, like involving the family, jealousy, and a lot more. And, um, you know, maybe some other challenges besides with the um, increasing uh, what, towing capacity. I, I never thought of it as a challenge. Yeah, exactly. Well, his father was an alcoholic and was a really nice alcoholic. I mean, he was a nice person and people really appreciated him. He was very helpful to everyone. Clyde had that part of his father in him where he was his Pa, called him Pa, helped everybody all the time with anything. But then he'd go off on a binge and be drunk and disappear and they'd be looking for him. And that was a lifelong uh, issue that Clyde had to face was this alcoholism of his father. And he he gets drunk one night and I won't tell you what happened because it's, it's a great story. But he gets drunk one night and then does something ridiculous, <laughs> horrible gets hurt and he prays to God and says, God, thank you for saving me. I'm never going to drink again. And he basically, he would have a toast or something, but he didn't drink anymore after that. And he said, I'm not going to end up like my father and his brother who became an alcoholic too. I'm not going to end up like my father. And so um, he decided that drinking wasn't something that he was really going to do. Mm hmm. And, and certainly as well, too. And a bit more about the book, uh, Barber's Cut with um, Nancy Potter. We'll get that in just one minute. You listen to the Mike Widener Show at the MikeWidenerShow.com, powered by SoundCloud Studios and brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Molson Zia. We'll be back with the author of Barber's Cut, Nancy Potter. After this time, the Mike Wagner show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. 
If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1-800-303-3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Hey everybody, my name is Forbes Riley and I'm an American actress and a TV host. And I was delighted when I got my copy of Missing, which is Extraordinary Relation of Ordinary People based on a real life relationship. It's just, it's well written, it's amazing. You know, it talks about a man who has lost his wife and his daughter, and it's very well done. I'm gonna highly recommend that you go get your copy of Missing. It is a powerful, exciting read. Mr. Mian Moshe Zia, he is the author of Missing. And I wanna give a big shout out and a kiss all the way halfway around the world to my dear friend. Check him out at Mia's website. It's called www.miamotionzea.com. Missing, available on Amazon. Again, I'm Forbes Riley, and I will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Hey, hey, this is Ray Powers, and boy, are you in luck. Right place, right time. Tuned in to The Mike Wagner Show. You heard me. We're back to the amazing author of Barber's Cut, Nancy Potter, here on the Mike Wagner Show. Born in New Orleans, now living in uh, Houston, Texas. And, um, in, you know, just a couple of things about Barber's Cut. Uh, what do you want people to um, get from the book or learn from the book? Well, I think one of the, first of all, it's, it's it's historically as accurate as humanly possible. I think it's a time in history with it where there was a lot going on. And I think we all at this point in our history need to go back and reread some of what was going on so we can appreciate what they were doing and how what they did led up to where we are now. We wouldn't have been here if they hadn't worked so hard and done all the things that they did. It's a book not only about history and about a man who was a driven man, who was a humanitarian. It's also about psychology. There's a lot of psychology in it and about how how he would think about things and the way and how the way he thought about things would make things happen or not happen. And uh, he thought deeply about everything that he did. He was he didn't take things lightly. And I think that you can read this book on a surface level where it's just a wonderful, very entertaining story. But it, in, later in, in later chapters where there's talking more about the thinking. And if you think about how he goes about his everyday life, uh, then it, it gives a, a different level, another level to the story. So it's a great story, but it also talks about a lot about human beings and how we think and how we get things done or not done. Hmm. That is really interesting. Sounds like a great book to read. And where can we find your book at, Nancy? You can find my book on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And I have a website, nancypotterauthor.com, where you can learn all about the book and all about me and, and about my son's disease. Also, there's a, a tab in there that talks about his disease and steer people to the organization that supports the kids who have this disease and uh, buy it. You're going to love it. It's it's an enthralling it's an enthralling book that's going to make a great miniseries. 
and certainly looking forward to it as well. And if it does be a mini series, you're welcome to come back on it, Nancy. And anyway, we're, we're here with author Nancy Parr of the book uh, Barbara's Cut here on the Mike Wagner Show. And uh, just a couple more things. You can uh, bring it up a little closer as well to Barbara's Cut. You can find it on Amazon and her website. And um, what else can we expect from you in 2024 and beyond, Nancy? Well, I've started the sequel. The sequel is about my grandmother, which is Clyde and Jenny's daughter. One of they have two daughters. My my grandmother's one of their daughters, and she had her life was the, went in the direct opposite direction of Clyde's. He was the rags to riches. Well, in the next generation, they lost all the money. Wow. Her story is the riches to rags story, and um, what happened to the money, how it disappeared how things disappeared where they went and how she managed to do it all with such grace and humility so it's called at the moment the working title is lily's legacy her name was lily and um that's what 2024 is about is writing that novel people are driving me crazy already <laughs> put the next one out Wait, well, put the next well, one I, out? well i'm not gonna press it and if it does come out um you know, come back and talk about as well, too, here on the Mike Wagner Show. We're all Oh, I would to love it. to, Mike. Thank you. That'd be great. And uh, just a couple more things. Who do you consider biggest influence in your career? The, the biggest person who's the biggest the, influence the in biggest my career? The biggest influence, yes. Anybody in general. The biggest influence in my career? Well, I think it has to be Daddy Barber. I think it has to be Clyde. Because if it weren't for his story, uh, then all of this wouldn't be happening. And this is... This is the culmination of a lifetime of work. And and I think that he, which is kind of funny because I never knew him, mm -hmm. but I think he's had an amazing impact on a lot of things in my life. And part of the way I live my life is because of him. So I would have to say, uh, answering it without giving it more than uh, five seconds of thought, that Clyde, Daddy Barber was probably the biggest influence. And certainly did as well, doing a great job of it. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Just don't stop. Whatever it is that you really, really feel in your heart to do, don't give it up because I could have given it up and almost did give it up and just kept coming back to it. And it took 38 years. You know, having a handicapped child is a full-time job for 20 years. And um, I mean, it's still... A, uh, an interesting job, but it's not a full-time job anymore. And so you have to stay with what you love. Writing is what I love. I always wanted to be a writer and be able to just write. And that's what I'm working on now. And you're doing a great job as well, too, Nancy. We're here with author Nancy Potter of Barbara's Cut here on the Mike Wagner Show. Nancy, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Yes. Keep in touch. Love having you back. And once again, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your book? Well, Facebook, it's Nancy Potter Author. And again, on, on website, nancypotterauthor.com. I'm on Instagram and uh I hope that you will read my, I, I, first of all, you have, you need to read my book because you'll be, you, it's really, it's worth the time and effort it is, takes to read it and write a review and know that it means a lot to a lot of people who aren't even alive anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Correct. Yeah. And that's a really good idea as well, too. Make sure you buy it today. Once again, Nancy, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Live have you back. Wish all best. And Nancy, you definitely thank have a great you. future. Help I you. appreciate it. God bless. The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1-800-303-3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Hey everybody, my name is Forbes Riley and I'm an American actress and a TV host. And I was delighted when I got my copy of Missing, which is Extraordinary Relation of Ordinary People based on a real life relationship. It's just, it's well written, it's amazing. You know, it talks about a man who has lost his wife and his daughter and it's very well done. I'm gonna highly recommend that you go get your copy of Missing. It is a powerful, exciting read. Mr. Mian Moshe Zia. He is the author of Missing. And I want to give a big shout out and a kiss all the way halfway around the world to my dear friend. Check him out at Mia's website. It's called www.miamotionzea.com. Missing. Available on Amazon. Again, I'm Forbes Riley and I will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Mike Wagner Show. Brought to you by international award-winning author Mia Mosinzia of Missing and powered by Sonic Web Studios. Be sure to join us again on over 40 podcast platforms and, of course, on the MikeWagnerShow.com, HamiltonRadio.net, and Diamonds FM. Don't forget to support our program with a generous donation at the MikeWagnerShow.com. Thanks for listening.